You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants for the 25th Sunday in ordinary time as we launch ourselves into the well what was historically the ecclesiastical new year i know that today most people think of the beginning of the church new year as the beginning of advent um but um but uh the going back even more more ancient to older times yeah the time the september 1st and the fall the conclusion of the fall harvest marking the beginning of our ecclesiastical year and of course standing there at the beginning of that year is two beautiful feasts um the nativity of the mother of god and the feast of the holy cross which kind of opens up for us our preparation for the coming of christ so here we are on the 25th sunday in ordinary, ta- ordinary time annie mitchell i failed to say hello how are you well doing today? hello father i am doing great and very happy to be here I'm so glad that you're happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too. Uh, let's go ahead and give our participants, Annie, our passages for today. Yes, get out your notebooks and your Bibles. Here are the readings for the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. Our responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 113. The gospel for this weekend is Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And the epistle is from St. Paul's first letter to Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Now, we might need to give people a little more time to go thumbing through their Bible to get to Amos today, Father. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, tread tread some water here. Go to the Book of Maccabees. Time. Oh, okay, good. As long as your, your Old Testament has the Book of Maccabees at the end of it, you can just kind of go backwards or go to the last book in your Old Testament. If it, it's not Maccabees, because like the New Americans, sometimes they change the order. Go backwards because Amos is one of the shorter of the prophets. He's one of what we call the minor prophets. I don't really like that distinction, but nevertheless, um, my husband, when he was in seminary, their um, football team was called the Minor Prophets. You stole a seminarian? No, no, I met him long after he left seminary. Okay, Um, long enough after the the Minor Prophets, you said? Yeah, yeah, that was their football team name. That's pretty funny. so yeah, he's one considered one of the minor prophets, um, and he's shorter in length, which is an easy way to remember how to find stuff in the prophets. Is for the most part, unless you have you know 
part one and part two kind of thing. Like we have the book of Jeremiah, the prophecy of Jeremiah and his lamentations, right? The lamentations of Jeremiah. So those are together, not because of length, but the rest of it kind of goes from longest to shortest for the most part. And so Amos being one of the shorter of the prophets is towards the end. So you're going to find it. You've had but, enough time. If you haven't found it now, you might as well close up shop. You're in Amos chapter just eight. listen to the word proclaimed exactly. to you. That's here we are. Amos chapter eight. Starting with verse four through seven, go. Here we go. Hear this, you who trample upon the needy and destroy the poor of the land. When will the new moon be over, you ask, that we may sell our grain and the Sabbath that we may display the wheat? We will diminish the ephah and add to the shekel and fix our scales for cheating. We will buy the lowly for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. Even the refuse of the wheat we will sell. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, never will I forget a thing they have done. And that, my friend, opens us up to a righteous Bible study. Okay, this is, this is this is really cool stuff. All right. My first question to you is who the heck is Amos, Father? Well, you know, you know, remember Amos and the Dukes of Hazard? Oh, no, that's beyond me. That's well past my time don't you remember the dukes of hazard television no okay anyways <laughs> that was my childhood <laughs> dukes of hazard. Uh, yeah amos uh anyways no amos is not one of the characters in the dukes of hazard although i think there was an amos there that's why i mentioned that maybe mm-hmm. that was all that funny to most people you had to live through the 80s you just had to live through the <laughs> 80s all right so amos is one of the minor prophets and of course when you come across one of these guys, you don't open up all the time. And Father Hezekiah's memories all that great. You got to knock, knock the old rust off with a little bit of Antonio Fuentes. Yes. Yeah? So I pulled out Fuentes just to remind myself a little bit. And actually, he had a couple of nice little insights I was going to share with you. Uh, he says this. I'm just going to give you a little, just a little, you know, a little sprinkling of Fuentes. And then we're going to go over here. Amos was the earliest of the writer prophets, right? Because there's, there's prophets that don't write, prophets that do write, you know? Like Elijah. Elijah Elijah's didn't write. Yeah, that was not who a writer prophet, right? Right. So, okay. He was born in Tekoa near Bethlehem. Okay. So he was probably of the tribe of Judah, although I should have probably actually looked that up. Um, I'm not sure it gives his genealogy there, but anyways, if he's living near Bethlehem, most likely. Okay. Um, and he, 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 he ministered in the, during the reign of Jeroboam the second from 780 three to 743, 780 to 743. Now I'm going to do something for all of you because it's not just a matter of father Hezekiah showing you how smart I am about the Bible. Cause I'm not that smart about the Bible, but because I'm not that smart about the Bible, I'm kind of like most of you out there in this way that I need helpful tools. That's not to put you down. It's to say that all of us should have tools to look for in the back of my Bible. I put a nice, Oh, wait a minute. That wasn't the page. A nice little thing that has some basic dates over here for all these guys and all these events, right? So cool. I'm just going to quickly refer back there to show you how valuable some of this can be if you're refreshing your memory. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to be looking toward the time of the divided kingdom. And this little helpful thingy uh, tells me that uh, the divide, that the, the schism took place between the Northern 10 tribes and the Southern two tribes or between Judah and what will become known as Israel up north. And we're going to look at this in a minute in the year 930 
and that Israel is led captive by the Assyrians in the year 722. Hmm. Going back to Fuentes, uh, Jeroboam II's reigning in 783 to 743. So right before the, the conquering of the northern ten tribes by the Assyrian Empire. This takes place just before the conquering of Judah in Jerusalem by the Babylonians. So you have the Assyrians rise to power, conquers the northern ten tribes, known as Israel. Then the Babylonians rise to power, conquering Judah and Jerusalem, okay? And what is what is fun to say? Say he, Amos condemns dissolute city life, social injustice, and insincer- insincerity of religious worship. He exposes those who exploit the poor. Bingo! That's our text for today, right? Mm-hmm. And upbraids judges that are for their venality. the The book is a hymn to God's omnipotence and to His permanence of the covenant. If the people do not change their ways, Fuentes says. They will soon be punished by Yahweh. The kingdom will collapse and its inhabitants will be sent into exile. Uh, But there's a shaft of hope. In chapter 5, verse 15, we talk about the future salvation of the remnant of Joseph. Mm. So look at chapter 5 real quick. Chapter 5, verse, what did I say? 15, I think. Chapter 5, verse 15. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Hold on to that. Yeah. Because we're going to find out what this remnant of Joseph is all about. And the remnant of Judah will experience grace in the Messianic restoration. I'm going to take a look at both of those peoples in a minute as we're kind of building our understanding of Amos here. Um, but there it is. That's who Amos is, Annie. Okay. Now talk about you, you always talk about, you know, helicoptering in to a passage. Yeah. I mean, okay. So here we have this prophet that most of us, you know, we may have heard the name Amos, but have no clue who he is. And then all of a sudden hear this, you who trample upon the needy, like, whoa, talk about helicoptering in. So What is well, going on here? Let's let's just skim through the passage really quick. Hear this, so you who trample on the needy is your is your basic theme, right? So he's right. he's condemning those who are being who are oppressing the poor, and there's lots to talk about there today, and just and destroy the poor of the land. When and then and they quotes the those who are doing this. When will the noon moon be over? You ask. That we may sell grain, sell our grain. Why? Because the Jews lived and operated on a lunar calendar. Hmm. So, and every month as the new moon came, so they had a feast of the new moon in which sacrifices were offered and the Jews observed something of a Sabbath rest. So they hmm. couldn't work. So there you go. When, when will we, when will the new moon be over? Like God gave you this gift and you're like, Please, I don't need the Sabbath day. I don't need the new moons. I just need to get back down there and continue to run my business. Mm -hmm. I'm just speaking right here to all of us. I was going to say all of you, (laughs) all (laughs) of us Americans who are so wrapped up in our stinking jobs that we're working like crazy. And then there's no time for the Lord. There's not enough money for tithing. There's not. Okay. This is the problem. And so, and he goes on. When will the Sabbath 
well, that we may sow our grain and the Sabbath, when will be over, that we may display the wheat. We will diminish the ephah, add to the shekel, it's the weight, and add to the cost, right? So get rid of the get rid of the quantity that I'm selling of the wheat and so forth. And then I'm going to increase the amount of the money. I'm going to fix my scales so I can cheat somebody, right? So instead of giving them a pound, I'm going to give them, you know, 0.9 right. a pound, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to charge more for it. We let's see, we will buy the lowly for silver. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Now you're talking about slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. you're not just talking about cheating people, you're talking about enslaving them. Uh, we will buy the lowly for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. So the poor doesn't have any sandals. Hey, I'll give you sandals, but you're mm-hmm. gonna have to serve me, mm-hmm. right? I'll I'll give you food, but you're gonna have to be my indentured servant, okay. Even the refuse of the wheat we will sell. What are they talking about? The refuse of the wheat we will sell. Look at, uh, turn your Bibles very fast. Keep your hand on Amos because you can't find it. Okay. And that is Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 uh, verse 9. Go ahead, Annie. Leviticus 19, 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field to its very border. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Okay. And you could go back, by the way, if you're like, oh, that's cool stuff. You go back and read the the book of Ruth, which is very short but beautiful to read. Okay. Cause mm. Ruth is, ends up out there yeah, in the field. That's how, Boaz's yes. leftovers. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here we are in Amos. Uh, so even the refuse of the wheat, I would say the Lord told you not to do it and you're still collecting the wheat and you're selling it. Mm. Okay. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Never will I forget a thing they have done. Okay. Now, now here's where we got to kind of open up our Bible study a little bit, do a little bit of background work and spend this particular SGR. We spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. This one in particular, we're going to spend a little bit more time because we have to understand what's going on. And the fact that this is given to us right at this time of year is very beautiful because the, the church in her wisdom has always seen the beginning of the ecclesiastical year in light of, or in the context of Jesus's unrolling of the scroll of Isaiah in chapter four of Luke, Mm -hmm. in which he proclaims the Jubilee year. We now live in the Jubilee year, right? Jesus has uh, announced the year of release. What is the Jubilee year? Every 50th year among the Jews, they would forgive all debt. All Mm -hmm. slaves would be free. Yeah. And of course there's physical debt and there's spiritual debt, right? We hold people a lot of times in spiritual debt for things they've done to us. And Jesus has come to announce the Jubilee year and we've been baptized into him, right? And so now we Christians live in this state of Jubilee in which we no longer hold other people in debt, right? Which is why Jesus prays the way he prays, right? Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive the trespasses of those who have sinned against us, right? The, those who have trespassed against us. Who have, and so we do not hold them Please, Lord, do not hold us in debt to the extent that we don't hold other people in debt, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't hold them in this in this spiritual slavery. So, um, so all of this is a, a bit of a background here now to what we're seeing in Amos. What's going on? We'll give you a little bit of historical context. The Jews 
I'm going to use that pre-Babylonian exile, or sorry, pre-division uh, 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 of the kingdom terms, right? The, all of God's yeah, kingdom, sure. the 12 tribes, experience a major problem leading up to the division of the kingdom. And ultimately, it was the cause of their downfall, both in the north and in the south. And that is that they refused to honor the Jubilee year. Not only they refused to honor the Jubilee year, by the way, it's, I, I, you know, I was just reading recently on this and just doing a little bit of research. Do you know that from the time that Israel left Mount Sinai for 40 years, they didn't circumcise right. their people, right? We find that in, in Joshua chapter five, verse five, I believe it is. Not only that, they failed to keep the Passover. They didn't even honor the Passover. Right. Like you imagine the Passover in which they were free from slavery. They didn't celebrate it. Yeah. In fact, you get that. I'm going to just flip my Bible very quickly. Again, you can hold your hand in Amos or put something there to keep your place there. If you can take a look at second Kings with me really fast. Second Kings, I'm going to go really fast. So just go fast with me. Second Kings chapter 23, chapter 23, verse second Kings chapter 23, verse 21. Are you there, Annie? I am. And the Lord Oh, sorry. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel. Okay. That's a long time ago from Second yeah. Kings. So, so you got to understand what's going on, that they're not following the law of God. And the heart of the law of God is the law, is the, is the Sabbath rest. And by extension, the seventh, the seventh year, the sabbatical year. And by extension, extension is the Sabbath of Sabbath of Sabbaths, as Tim Gray liked to call it, is the Jubilee year. Yes, in which they're to release it. all debt, forgive all slaves. Everybody's getting free and all land comes back to its original owner. And they, they spend an entire year not even, not even cultivating the land. Okay. Oh. They just live a year of rest and everybody is given freedom. Uh, uh, from debt. Okay. And, and why? Awesome. It's honestly. awesome. But, but why? So why, why yeah. was this law given in Leviticus? Well, n- number one level is because God had just freed them from slavery and they were to live in the image and likeness of God. Yes. That's the first level. The second level, the deeper level is uh, it comes back to the original Sabbath in this book of Genesis itself um, is, um, is that uh, there, that, the Lord is calling us again in his image and likeness to do as he's done. He who is love and has given his life to us. We are now to give our life to others, right? What did God do on the Sabbath day in Genesis? Everybody says he rested. Well, but he did something when he rested, right? His resting is not like smashing a Budweiser can over his head because he's exhausted. No, it says he blessed. Yeah. And to bless is to give the Lord's life to that which is blessed, right? And we are called to be in his image and likeness there also. So we are called on the Sabbath day to live the life of God, but that life of God is love and love is always lived in an atmosphere of freedom, right? There is no love where there is servitude or slavery or dictatorship, right? Love by its very nature must be free. And so um, and so the Sabbath gives is a day of is a it's a day of freedom. A day in which which the people are free to live as God lives. In this atmosphere of freedom, then they can l- love God and they can love their neighbor. 
Yeah. So the Sabbath becomes a center of the, it is the center of the covenant between God and man. And that covenant is then lived out every Sabbath day, every seventh year, and ultimately on the 50th year in which the fullness of this covenant is lived out for an entire year. But unfortunately, just like the Passover, just like circumcision, so the Jubilee also was not honored. Yeah, and we find that out from Jeremiah chapter 34. Turn with me, Jer- Jeremiah chapter 34, real quick. This is talking about later on, past Amos, a few hundred years, when, a couple hundred years, when the Babylonians are marching on Judah, on Jerusalem in the south after Amos and uh, lived and after the north fell to the Assyrians, but it, it helps you understand what was going on there also. And that is here in Jeremiah chapter 34, the year of Jubilee is proclaimed as a, as a scapegoat last, last minute ditch effort to save the people. Cause the Babylonians are about to conquer them. And the King is like, what am I going to do? I have nothing left. Oh We're going to die. He claims, he says, that's it, release the slaves. So maybe God will intervene and save us from the Babylonians. But then they took the slaves back. They released them and he took them back. You can see that in 34 verses eight and following. Read that to yourselves. But listen to this. In verse 14, at the end of six years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free. That's the repeating of the law. Mm -hmm. But your fathers did not listen to me nor incline their ears to me. So they haven't been doing this. Yes. And this comes out now in Amos also, as it's going to come out there in chapter three of, of Jeremiah, that that is the straw, which breaks the camel's back. And this is true, not only for the North or for the South, but also for the North in which they are enslaving their people. Hello. We can read our passage, right? Hear this, you who trample upon the needy and destroy the poor of the land. Look at Amos. Now look at Amos chapter eight verse one thus the lord god showed me that showed amos behold a basket of summer fruit all right what time is what time of year is it summer well yes it's summer it's huh like harvest time yeah, it's the end of summer, right? I was just on the river. I'm picking blackberries and figs like off the trees on the river at my Ooh, house. It's amazing. Nice. You know, the grapes are just like beautiful on the vine right now. It's the end of the summer. It's not the beginning of I live of in summer. Cincinnati. I don't know this. So <laughs> okay. you have to explain so, it all to me. <laughs> behold, behold a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people. You stinking sickos. I gave you all of this. I gave you this. You have in your hand this, the fullness of the harvest. And yet you're oppressing the poor. Wow. You who are made in my image and after my likeness. This is how you thank me for what I've done for you. That you then go and yoke yourself to the enemy of God. Like Pharaoh and enslave your brother. Yeah. So that's, that's really the context of what's going on here in Amos. Um, I just have to do one last step. And that's why I said we have to spend a little more time. I should have done this actually before I explained all that stuff. So if you could mentally set aside that chunk of information and stick in just before a little bit historical thing that I need to share with you for those that are not aware of this. And that is regarding uh, Amos's mission to the Northern 10 tribes to which he's preaching. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to go back with you to second Samuel. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Second. Yes. Second Samuel. And I'm going to go to second Samuel chapter 11. 
No, I'm not going to 2 Samuel. I'm going to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And it's a passage we oftentimes look at here in chapter 11, the sins of Solomon. We're not going to go over all of them, but in verse 26, we get this, this, this situation here. Verse 26, chapter 11, verse 26, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a, a widow, also lifted his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Milo. And closed up the breach in the city of, of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. Your head blows off because you know who Joseph was, right? Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Israel yeah. whose brothers sold him, sold into, him slavery into slavery such that they yeah. ended themselves up in slavery, which was the beginning of the... God's mercy to them in bringing them out of slavery. So now Solomon has done to Joseph's sons, Joseph's great-great-grandsons, the very same thing, which is going to tell you what's going to happen to the sons of Solomon, mm -hmm. is that they're going to end up in slavery, right? And then Jeroboam goes, well, Solomon dies. His son Rehoboam takes the throne over. You can see that in verse 41 and following okay solomon mm -hmm. slept with his fathers and then you see at the end of that that those verses there and rehoboam his son reigned in his stead you see that okay yeah. well i'm going to summarize chapter 12 for you rehoboam then turns to his father's servants who are the older wiser advisors mm -hmm. and says what should i do about the kingdom how should I rule it? He says, well, they say, well, you know, your father was kind of hard on the guys. I mean, he even enslaved Joseph's sons and it didn't go well. Like, yeah, he built a lot of stuff, but he taxed the people to death. If you just lighten up his load a little bit, if you like give the people a little breathing room, mm -hmm. they're going to love you and they're going to follow you. Then Rehoboam goes to his friends, right? Yeah. And you can see that all here in verse uh, six through 11. And his, his friends or his buddies, all the young guys are like, dude, you're king. You have all the power. Tax the hell out of them because you're going to get their money. And if you, they don't follow you, you just, you know, we, you know what they would say, right? Very Machiavellian. And, yeah. yeah. Well, what, who does Rehoboam listen to? His buddies. And then in verse 16, chapter 12, verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king did not hearken to them, the people answered the king, what portion have we in David? We have no inheritance with the sons of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. In other words, Jerusalem, Judah, the tribe of Judah, you're on your own. We're going home and we're not going to pay you any taxes anymore. And this is where the civil war happens. Okay. Verse 19. So Israel, that's the northern ten tribes, had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all of Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him in the assembly and made him king over Israel. Now you have two kings ruling, right? You have Jeroboam, who goes and rules the north, the northern ten tribes, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, ruling in the south. But the same problem takes place in both places. And why does the same thing take place in most places? Well, where did Jeroboam learn to be king? From Solomon. And what did Solomon do? He enslaved his brother. So the Lord says, look, if you're going to be a dictator and a, and a slave keeper, 
which makes you not in my image after my likeness, then you're in the image and likeness of the slave keeper and the, the dictator of all. And that's the evil one, the devil. You want to be under his dominion? Well, you'll see what it's like to be under his dominion. You'll be his slave. And off they go, right? Mm -hmm. The northern 10 tribes to the Assyrians and the south eventually to the Babylonians. And why will the Lord not forget this thing that's been done? Because they didn't repent. Yeah. When, when did the yeah. 70 years of end for Israel or for, for Judah, I should say, in the south? Mm -hmm. When they repented. Yeah. And actually, it's more than 70 years from they end up in servitude for 490 years, 70 times seven because of their sin of slavery. Hmm. And so the church places us this before us now as a warning and as a reminder to enter upon this new year, this time as we approach and prepare now so distant so far, I know it seems like, but actually, if you go down to Costco, you're going to see they already have your Christmas trees up <laughs> to prepare for the coming of Christ and this gift of Jubilee, this gift of freedom, which he's going to grant to us and then ask ourselves an important question. If we want to be forgiven by God, are we willing to forgive others? Or are we going to continue to hold them in spiritual servitude for their sins? It's a tough question. Yeah. It's difficult to forgive. Yeah. Anyways, we can talk a little bit more about that, but there's Amos. All right. I have one more question, which I think will actually kind of transition us into the responsorial song. One more, as one well. more question about Amos? Yeah. I told and you everything I know. Don't ask me more questions. I don't know. Anything. Well, no, I mean, it's not about Amos specifically. It's actually about God, which is probably a harder question. I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering if, can you just talk, because we have this opportunity to, to talk about it. Can you just speak to the Lord's like particular love for the poor? I mean, you know, I know he loves everyone, but yeah. he seems to have this very special love for the poor in scripture. You know, I got to tell you, I'm going to answer that question in a way that you probably aren't going to expect me to answer it because I know there's a lot of talk out there about the, like the preferential treatment of the poor. Sure. And the, and, and, and this, you know, poverty is a curse. Yeah. It's not a blessing. Yeah. So what is this? preferential treatment of okay i i understand where it's going and it, it tugs on the heartstrings why does god love the poor because of what he wants for them it's like a child who hurts his foot the father doesn't go oh i love you because you're in pain no this is a misunderstanding of poverty no he he, he, he the, fa his, the father or mother goes and pays attention to that child so that he can be healed, yes, and be restored to, 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 he doesn't have his hurt stub toe anymore, or his bleeding, whatever. Does that make sense? So yeah. God loves the poor because he loves us. And he sees that, the, as we were talking about last week, the lost sheep, right? He sees the one who's suffering, and he goes after him to bring, to bring him home, to bring healing to him, yeah? But there's another aspect, and here's where I would say that there is something about this preferential treatment of the poor, and that is that that God is love, right? And and so it's the and love is the giving of our life to the beloved, and tr a true authentic love is the complete, total sacrifice of oneself. So we can say, like with Saint Paul, it's no longer I who live, right? I've given my life away, 
Yeah, I've embraced my cross. I've carried the cross of Christ. He who he who saves his life will lose it, but he who loses his life, Jesus doesn't say in a little way, lose life a little bit. He says, he who loses his life, like it's gone, it's done, over with. You died. Yeah, you died to yourself that you might totally live for another. And in that, there is a, a beautiful, and I would say a beautiful mystery of God's own poverty in, in that sense, that he has lived this life of self-giving love from all eternity in two ways, both in the father giving away his entirety of his, his whole of his life, pouring it into the son, but also the total dependency of the son for the gift of life, the gift of the Holy Spirit from the father. Hmm. And so there's a mystery here in God himself. And uh, there's certainly much to be meditated upon regarding that mystery. I'm not going to go any further about it, only to add one thing to this, this uh, human poverty, which Archbishop Elias Shakur mentions regarding the Beatitudes and why the blessed or why the poor are blessed and because the poor are hungry. And, and because the poor are hungry, then they can be fed. And oftentimes in our life, we who are rich Americans um, lose our vision of our need for God because we have so much. And it's really the, those who are poor, who are seek, seek the Lord, right? And this happens to us, even, even rich Americans, we're poor all the time when we lose a loved one. Yeah. And what do we do when we lose a loved one? Lord, have mercy. We reach out to him in our poverty. And it's there in our poverty that the Lord can come and be and be for us, what he wants to be, what he is, and what we oftentimes don't recognize, and that is the total source of our life. The one and our, our total sustenance is found, and our total dependency is found, okay? So maybe there's a couple of things to think about there, Annie. Well, it leads us seamlessly to the responsorial psalm response for this weekend. Praise the Lord who lifts up the poor. Yeah, he raises up the lowly from the dust. From the dunghill, he lifts up the poor to seat them with princes. Annie, this reminds me, I told you we had to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today, that there is one other aspect of this passage in Amos that we didn't talk about, and this is reminding me of it, and that oh. is and that is regarding Joseph. Yeah? Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Because remember we were talking about in, in, uh, in, in Amos chapter 5, five. the yeah. remnant of Joseph. Well, I should say we already talked about it a little bit because we talked about Joseph Joseph's sons being enslaved by Solomon, right? Right. So the, who is going to be free? Who is going to receive salvation? Not the rich, not the slave owners, the slaves, right? So I'm going to just flip back to Amos very quickly. I'm going to do two passages really quickly here, and then we can go back and look at the gospel. So Amos, oh, Amos, where are you, Amos? He's right here in my Bible. There he is. Okay. Amos, what did I say? Chapter 5. Verse 15 was the one earlier. Verse 15. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. And it may be the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Right? So it's the slaves. When the northern ten tribes are going to take it off to slavery, it's going to be the slaves that are are mm-hmm. that are freed and and we're going to get that also for the south this is the last passage in, in first and second kings chapter 25 we've looked at this pa- pa- chapter many times chapter 25 verse 8 and following jerusalem is burned and sacked and the and the slaves are taken off or the the people of god that are still there 
are taken off to slavery. But in verse 12, this is 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 12, but the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land. Yeah, why? Who are the poor of the land? The slaves. So slaves. the guys that have been slaves now are given freedom, and the guys that were the slave whores become slaves. Yeah? yeah there's the Lord's justice for you. <laughs> nice. Okay. Awesome. All right. So let's, let's take a look at, what are we in, Luke cha chapter 16, I think? Luke chapter 16 today. This is a very confusing passage, Andy. Uh, yes, I have many questions. I figured we'll you might. And I, and I don't have very many answers, but I'll do the best I can. All right. We're in Luke we chapter go. 16, verses 1 through 13, which follows right upon our passage from last week, which were the, the uh, those three parables given about the, the widow. The lost chapter who, of the Bible. Yeah. The lost chapter. Right? The winner lost the, the, found the lost uh, drachma, the lost coin, the guy who goes and gets the one the lost lamb, right? And then, mm -hmm. and then of course the prodigal the son. son. And mm -hmm. now the next verse is chapter 16, verse one. So let's go ahead and keep reading together. Yeah. And actually um, maybe because this parable is so confusing is the reason why it could be bracketed out <laughs> as one of the options. So you may not hear the option to this thing. Yeah, there's an option um, to do just verse 10 through 13, but I decided to make it hard on you. You didn't you tell me that part. Parable. I would have rather had just 10 through 13. No, 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 no. We don't. Which do is brackets. probably what every other pastor is going to choose to do. Like, I'm not touching this one with a 10 foot pole, so we're just going to go with the short go version. Ahead. Go but ahead. We're, we're going to plow through here. All, All right. right. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, a rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, what is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, what shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors one by one. To the first, he said, how much do you owe my master? He replied, 100 measures of olive oil. He said to him, here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for 50. Then to another steward, to another, the steward said, and you, how much do you owe? He replied, 100 cores of wheat. The steward said to him, here is your promissory note, write one for 80. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If therefore you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? 
Mm. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Annie, before you ask me any questions, I am going to change our roles today and I'm going to start asking you questions about this passage, okay? Yeah. But watch what you're going to do. And everyone that's been doing our Bible study with us this whole time here, slugging through chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and now 16 has the tools to actually read this properly. If you just stop for a second and don't do what you're about to do. And that is to take this Bible passage out of context and start applying it to your spiritual life. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Don't do that. The first thing you have to do is. Place context. It in context. That's right. Yeah. So, so Annie, I'm going to ask you the questions you've been asking me these past few months okay. in terms of this, of this, um, of this, uh, gospel passage, Jesus said to his disciples, right? So what do you know now? Okay. Jesus and I are sitting at the table with the Pharisees. Right. Says to his disciples. So in your mind, what's, what's the scene around you? What's going on here? There are huge crowds around him. Yeah. And everybody's what? Mingling around and probably dealing what are they talking know, about chatting about him and what he's been saying probably yeah. and so let me let's go ahead and apply this then and well okay tell what, what kinds of people are eyes that are we know we have the disciples there right you've got the the 12 and the 70 and then you've got everybody else that's kind of on the and the edges. pharisees yeah, and the, the guys plotting his death like yeah. and all these things right okay jesus said to his disciples i'm in verse one a rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property, right? So who's, who's, who's the one who's got all the wealth? Who's, who's the one who's the source of wealth? It's God our father, right? Mm-hmm. Who's the steward? Who's he, who's he entrusted with everything and yet is squandering it? The fair, the Israel? The Jews, exactly. Yeah. Right. What's going on? Look, you go, Annie, come on. You could be jumping on this thing because look at verse, look at chapter 14, verse 24. I tell you, chapter 14, verse 24 of Luke, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Right. So there's this whole going out now apart from those. Why? Because the Jews have been given everything. And for what purpose? Yeah. To be a light to the nations. And yet they had squandered it. And now what are they supposed to do? And now he gives this parable um, in which he basically says, well, uh, if I'm going if you if you want to still still have a chance to be saved, I'm gonna go sit down with tax collectors and sinners. And if you're not friends with them, you're in a bunch of trouble. Yeah. So you're because you're not gonna be sitting at the banquet with me. Yeah. You know that makes it really interesting coming off because my first question to you was gonna be why did he launch into this story after? the parable of of the prodigal son but it's interesting how the end of the prodigal son well how the prodigal son parable ends you know we we talked about last week how you know the older son right. is 
is Israel and the younger son is the right. Gentiles. And so you have the end of this parable with the older son, the Jews being mm -hmm. very angry and, and it sort of like leaves open ended. Like you don't know how the son is going to answer this. I mean, he right. says it was, it was fitting to make Mary and glad for this is your brother who was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't know how the son responds. Does he go in and join the party right. or does he just walk away? You right. don't know. Right. And so in some ways he is now doubling down on that parable yeah. by telling his disciples this parable, right? With all of those people standing around, right? That's the point is that there's a, there is a context to this parable, just like there's a context to every story in the gospel, right? And if you know that context, you can start to add some meat to the bones. I'm not going to add all your meat to the bones because to be honest with you, it is a very confusing passage in many ways. And yet it's also very beautiful. And uh, maybe we can dig at it a little bit here. Okay. So I, I guess what is perhaps most confusing to me is that, okay, doesn't this steward cheat his master and then he <laughs> is praised for being prudent? I mean, what is that about? Right. And then of course, and, the, and then the whole thing goes, you want know, to double down on the confusion in this verse. I tell you, you know what? I got to give you guys the verse here. Chapter 16, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of an unrighteous mammon. Yeah. Or, or, or in our, in the um, New American, I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. <laughs> what? Is what? Jesus <laughs> lost his mind? You know? Um, and, uh, and so, okay, it does get very confusing, doesn't it? So is, is, has this guy done something bad? Has he been dishonest? Yes, he has, right? He's, he's yeah, he has. He's, he's stolen. He's, well, he's mismanaged what he's been placed steward over. Then he does. He goes and he actually tears up. I hate the translation promissory note. It's so modern American. <laughs> promissory. Oh, <yeah. laughs> the bill of debt, right? The, mm -hmm. the paper that writes down the debt, he rips it up. It is a promissory note, but I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of modern real estate. And the RSV, it says, take your bill. Yeah, your bill. Okay, fine, fine. And then he does this thing. So yeah, how is he being, being prudent, if you will? Prudence is practical wisdom, right? Wisdom is the knowledge of, of, of causes of things, right? Where something's come from and what its purposes are. That's, that's wisdom. You know that about a thing, you know, the whole of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Prud prudence is practical wisdom. That is knowing what to do in any given situation so that in your actions, you might move toward the ultimate end, the purpose of the thing, right? The bigger thing. And so what's the purpose of the thing here is that this guy gets saved, yeah. right? The guy's like, I'm in trouble, right? I'm going to end up with nothing and everything is against me. What am I going to do? So as to salvage the situation in which I find myself and the way he goes about doing it is yes, is, uh, is, is dishonest, right? It's ill gotten. In fact, it's very confusing. I want to go to this verse. I tell you, make friends with yourselves with dishonest. Well, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. Cause when we first read that passage, it sounds like Jesus is saying, 
uh, go get yourself some, go steal some money. Right. Right. Get, make friends with dishonest wealth. That's not what the sentence says. It's a little confusing. Make friends for yourself Mm. with what you stole. Right. So what's he saying? Okay. You stole a bunch of money. Don't go and squander it. Do with it whatever you can to save the situation in which you find yourself. Right. Mm. And, and so I got a quotation from St. Ephraim on this, which I really like. He told another parable of the steward who was accused in the presence of the master. The shrewdness of this unjust steward was praised in the presence of his master. He unjustly wasted the initial treasure, right, as steward, and then unjustly and cunningly canceled the later debts, which is what your point is like, wait a minute. (laughs) He was praised because he acquired what was to be his by what was not his namely his friends and his and supporters though what was not hit through oh, sorry through what was not his adam can okay, now now say never as he often does goes to genesis and goes right what was not his was the fruit of the tree mm-hmm. he got something that was not his namely thorns and pains i'm just gonna apply it for a second right so through these ill-gotten gains this guy actually goes and makes friends right yeah they with, they now owe him with, with, the, with, with the with the poor and the debtors. I'm going to talk about yeah. that in a second. We're going to cycle back all the way to Amos for a second. Of children of Adam, oh, children of Adam, buy for yourselves those things that do not pass away by means of those temporary things that are not yours. I love this, okay? Because as a matter of fact, everything we have in this life is not ours. It is a gift from God. It is his, but it's placed in our hands so as to achieve our salvation. Do you see how that's so, how St. Ephraim's explanation is, starts to make sense out of Jesus's parable, which is so darn confusing. He's seen everything you have is not yours. What are you going to do with it now that God has placed it in your hands? Hmm. Yeah. He says, you better try as best you can to buy the very thing, the most valuable thing of all your eternal life, right? I'll read that again. Oh, children of Adam, buy for yourselves those things that do not pass away by means of the temporary things that are not yours, right? Mm -hmm. So what did this guy gain for himself? He gained uh, a friendship with those who had been in debt. And who are those that are in, in debt? are the poor and now we're going back to your preferential treatment of the poor right because god loves the poor and he's going to save them right so if this guy can get himself into the house of the poor man he can hope to receive salvation by grabbing hold of his coattails yeah yeah that is pretty smart actually that's look look at well look at the look at the passage he says I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes, right? So that I might find myself in this place with those who are going to be saved, right? And I just go back to the make friends with the slaves of Joseph's, uh, the slaves, Joseph's sons, right? Make friends with the poor of the land, not with the rich, 
Yeah. Make, make, yeah. Buy for yourself an opportunity to be saved along alongside with them. Yeah. So again, still confusing unless you're in the context. Mm-hmm. Jesus is sitting down with sinners. He's sitting down with the poor, the blind, the paralytics, the refuse of society. And what is going to happen with the refuse of society, according to our, what's our Psalm verse over here? He raises up the lowly, Psalm 113, from the dust, from the dunghill, he lifts up the poor to seat them with the princes. Remember from Amos, the condemnation, even the refuse of the wheat, we will sell, right? Mm. And so... It all ties together here very nicely when you sit down at the table with Jesus, with the rich Pharisees all around you. Yeah. yeah. And you say, and that's what's going on. The disciples are going, I'm going a long ways with Jesus. But I can't, I don't want to sit down with that prostitute while the Pharisees are watching me. Mm-hmm. I don't know about sitting down with that rejected person while everybody's watching me. Am I really willing to go that far? And Jesus going to his disciples, yeah, you're going to have to do it. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of interesting as you were reading. I, I just looked um, one verse further from the passage that we get this weekend. And it says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all this. So you wonder, <laughs> you know. There you go. That's it, right? I didn't, I, actually, I hadn't seen that. Yes. There you go. Context, 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 right? It all makes sense. Yeah. And, and not, not only that. Remember, when we're talking about that debt, and the Jews are holding all of these people in spiritual debt, right? You're the sinner. You're the adulterer. You're the tax collector. You're this person. You're that person, right? You are a sinner and you're bad. And that's a way in which, the, they, and so Jesus says, forgive their debt to his disciples. Forgive that debt. Go to them. And give them an opportunity for a newness of life. And that's exactly why Jesus has come. It's why he's unrolled the scroll in Isaiah chapter 4. And it's exactly why it's coming all the way to fruition. It's like bubble. You can almost see it bubbling over, like simmering over the pot here by the time chapter 16 comes. It started all the way back in chapter 4 when he unrolled that scroll and proclaimed the year of release, the Jubilee year. He's the mediator between God and men that we, uh, First we read Timothy. about in, in First Timothy. Let's do it. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Beloved, first of all, I ask that supplications, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be offered for everyone, for kings and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion and dignity. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior, who wills everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all. This was the testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed preacher and apostle. I am speaking the truth. I am not lying. Teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It is my wish then that in every place the men should pray lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this passage is given to us by the church because of verse 6, right? Who, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Well, what's a mm-hmm. ransom for somebody, right? To get somebody out of slavery, 
he gives himself over to slavery, right? So now Amos comes back into the picture, those holding spiritual debt in the in gospel of Luke. And then now this passage in which Jesus gives his own life so that we might be freed from the dominion of the devil, right? He enters into death so that he might destroy its dominion over us and that we may live in freedom. I think it's very beautiful. Notice we begin with kings and authorities, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the kings and authorities that enslave people and grant freedom. It's the king's job to, to, to announce the jubilee year, right? So we pray for them that they might be kings and authorities in the image and likeness of the one who's granted us freedom from slavery. Yeah. That we might lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion and dignity. This is good and pleasing to God, our savior who wills everyone, not just the Kings, but even the lowly to be saved. Right. And then he goes on to speak of the one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. I speak of the, uh, who gave himself as a ransom for all, right? That key to the ransom business is, is I think what the church really wants you to focus on there is his, his giving over of his own life. Yeah. He, 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 in a sense, if we're going to talk in terms of debt, he pays our debt, right? By giving his own life that we might receive our life back. Okay. Now we can kind of conclude with that as far as, um, as far as our reflection is concerned, except that I have to say something that's one mediator between God and man. And I have a beautiful quotation for you from St. Gregory of Nyssa, from St. Gregory of Nyssa. He says this, by the distinction implied in the word mediator, so now he's in verse five, for there's one mediator between God and men. Mm -hmm. By the distinction applied by the word mediator, he reveals to us the whole aim of the mystery of godliness. Now, the aim is this. Humanity once revolted through the malice of the enemy and brought into bondage, was brought into bondage to sin, was also alienated from true life. After this, the Lord of the creature calls back to him his own creature and becomes man while still remaining God. Being both God and man, the entirety of the two separate natures. Thus humanity was indissolubly united to God, the man that is in Christ conducting the work of mediation, to whom by the first fruits assumed for us the all the lump is potentially united. So what's he saying here? Okay, that 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 our humanity having been broken from God is now united in the eternal person of the word so that Jesus in himself becomes the bridge, right? He's the bridge which grabs hold of our humanity and grabs hold of God's divinity, right? So he, And brings them together. So he is the mediator. He's the middle point between these two that can never be separated again because they're united in Christ. There's why there would be no new covenant, no new testament, no new revelation. Because he is the fullness of this reality that can never be broken again. We can't break it. Man cannot break his communion with God anymore. It's not possible. You and I, individuals, might do so, but our humanity can never again be separated from God, which is why there's always a possibility of reconciliation. Yeah? Now, I have to tell you that this verse was given to me in my finals for my master's exam for my theology degree, in which the question was this verse, but it didn't give the verse. It says, in the New Testament, or maybe it says in St. Paul's writing, he says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
how would you answer a Protestant that says that intercessory prayer, mediation of the saints, is invention of the church? And I unfortunately had not memorized the the the, uh, the book and chapter and verse that this passage was in, and I couldn't get to I couldn't find it because you had to use a blank bio. You could have a blank bio, you could have a marked up bio. And I couldn't find myself this passage because the answer to this passage. The answer to my Protestant brothers and sisters watching this program and studying with us today is in the context. I was going to say in like the first verse. Chapter one, <laughs> verse or chapter two, verse one. It's the first verse. Yeah. This, oh, well, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings, and so forth. This is good. Verse three. And it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Because St. Paul tells us that when we are baptized, Romans chapter 6, go with me very quickly, and then we're going to finish today because we're going to over time. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Are you there, Annie? Fast. I go, 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 go. I am go. there. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can I who died to sin still live in it? Or how can we do like, okay. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into this. My brother says, when you are baptized, you're baptized into Christ. You've been made one with him. So you can say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in who lives in me. We are members of his body. One is a hand, one is a foot, one is an eye. One is we are acting and living out the life of God on earth. Therefore, not only is it okay, but it is proper to the Christian that he intercede for others because he is in Christ. He is, he is, Jesus says, I will remain with you always. He remains with us always truly in us because we are the revelation of his love. It's seen Irenaeus says, the glory of God is man fully alive because man fully alive is the revelation that God is love. He's shared his life with us. He's made it possible for us. Yes, yes. God could have done all of this by himself without us. But he loves us too much to save us without us. And so he's placed us in one another's lives so that we might intercede on one another's behalf. So that we might participate in the salvific act of Jesus Christ and truly be in his image and after his likeness, like Moses did in last week's Old Testament reading. Interceding on the behalf of God's people at the time of the golden calf, the sin of the golden calf. Yes, this is what we're called to do. Yes, so so the, the whole point that St. Paul is making regarding the mediation that Jesus gives us in being both God and man, he says in the same breath, this is why it's possible for you to intercede because you have been baptized into this reality, which is the mediation between heaven and earth. That is the end of Sunday, Sunday Gospel Reflections of the Institute of Catholic Culture. <laughs> May God bless you on this beautiful Sunday as we prepare ourselves to uh, be counted among the refuse, among the poor, opening our heart to the word of God and becoming hungry for him and for him alone. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.